scripture this morning uh, in your pew Bibles. It'll be found on page 470 in Proverbs chapter 30. And again, in the Red Pew Bible, it's uh, 470. In chapter 30, we'll be reading uh, verses 7 through 9. Two things I ask of you, O Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal, and so dishonor the name of my God. A preacher paid a visit to a farmer. The preacher asked this farmer, if you had $200... Would you give $100 to God? Sure would, said the farmer. I'd be glad to do that. If you had 50 cows, would you give 25 cows to the Lord? The farmer said, I would be glad to do that. If you had two pigs, would you give one of those two pigs to the Lord? And the farmer replied, hey, pastor, that's not fair. You know I have two pigs. (laughs) It's easy to give to God what we don't have, isn't it? It's easy to give to God what we don't have. We can offer most anything to God when it's not ours to give. We can say all we want. If I had a million dollars, I would give half of it away. It's easy to give to God what we don't have. The real challenge comes when the Lord asks us to give out of what we do have. We come to an awkward subject this morning, especially as a preacher. Many think that money is all the church talks about. And frequent visitors to church have concluded that 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 is all the church is after. They're just after your money. Now, if you're a regular attender here, you know that I rarely talk about money, except when it comes up in a passage of Scripture that we're dealing with that addresses that topic. It's an awkward subject because it's very personal. But money is an important topic. The Bible has a lot to say about it. There's much confusion around it as well. Because as is typical, Christians tend to go to one of two extremes. Now, I am sure to offend someone here this morning. Because on the one hand, the one direction that Christians tend to go is that there are those who fall into the prosperity theology. Those who lean toward this take a few promises of the covenant to Moses out of their national context, cling to the promise in Malachi 3 about throwing open the storehouses of heaven, mix in some of Jesus' statements about receiving whatever you ask for in faith, and you cook yourself up a little health and wealth gospel. 
Now, you certainly could make a good case that God had a particular liking, I suppose, to rich guys. Just look at Abraham and Job and Zacchaeus, the way he blessed obedient kings. Even in Proverbs, we see things like, if you do this, then God will bless you with material things. So there's a very popular teaching today, and quite frankly, it is heresy, that God wants you healthy, wealthy, and happy. That's the one extreme. Now, on the other hand, the other extreme, there are those who lean to an austerity theology or poverty gospel. Proponents of this view uh, see money as, and possessions uh, like to want to point out that, that Jesus had no place to lay his head. Uh, the rich young ruler whose wealth prevented him from following Jesus. They, they like to point out the rich who oppressed the poor in the book of James. And that you can't take it with you anyway, so you might as well give it all away. And you certainly could make a good case of the terrible exchange of gaining the whole world, yet losing your soul. Just look at the parable of the rich fool. Look at portions of the Sermon on the Mount, or the story of the rich man and Lazarus. See, there are some who want to glorify poverty and tend to look on anyone with money as being suspect. Even this past week, Believe it or not, I heard a popular preacher say we ought to live paycheck to paycheck. It was based on this passage of Scripture that was read earlier that we're going to look at briefly in a moment. Listen, be careful here. Be careful not to create this false dichotomy that says that money is not spiritual. Be careful not to pit spirituality against financial wisdom. It isn't wrong to save and take prudent financial measures. There's nothing inherently wrong with money. Money can be viewed as a blessing from God. So so if we have these two extremes then, how do we make sense of the Scriptures and think rightly about money? More specifically... As we've been studying the book of Proverbs, we want, we want to ask, what does the book of Proverbs have to say about this topic? How can we make sense of the many separate Proverbs? And there are over 80 Proverbs, by the way, that address this subject. You see, in a book dedicated to living skillfully in this world, it is no surprise that it would contain sayings about money. We can't live wisely unless we learn to manage wisely our money and possessions. As Proverbs 17, verse 16 puts it, of what use is money in the hand of a fool since he has no desire to get wisdom? It is wisdom that uses wealth and poverty, our possessions and our money appropriately. And Proverbs looks at wealth and poverty from, very, from, uh, from many different angles. And the principles we find here are transferable to God's people of all ages. Now, as we've done in our time in Proverbs and looking at a particular topic, we're going to be checking out several Proverbs that speak to this subject. So we're going to go, be bouncing all over the place. It's not my typical way of preaching, but when we're in Proverbs, we're kind of forced to do that. Well, for starters, I want to look at that passage that Dennis read for us earlier, Proverbs chapter 30. Let's go there for a moment. Proverbs chapter 30. 
If you're not there, please turn your Bibles to Proverbs 30. We have here, if you go back to verse 1, it mentions a man named Agur, a prayer of Agur. Now, if you don't know who Agur is, you're in good company. I have no idea who he is. He isn't mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. But we can safely say that Agur was a wise man in that day. We can see the wisdom in this prayer. It's the only prayer, by the way, in the entire book of Proverbs. Well, what is he praying? What is he asking for? What is his life goal for as long as he shall live? Follow along with me. Verse 7, Proverbs chapter 30. Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. And by the way, that's another way of saying as long as I should live. Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me for as long as I should live. Keep falsehood and lies from me, and give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much, disown you, and say, who's the Lord? Or may become poor and steal, and so dishonor the name of my God. Now, he makes two requests. One has to do with truthfulness, truthfulness. And later on, like a month from now, sometime in August, uh, we're going to spend a, a sermon on truthful speech. So I'm, I'm not, I'll come back to that then. What's the second request here, though? The second request that really serves our purposes for this morning, what is it? His prayer is that he will never go broke nor ever be rich, if you want to boil it down. Why does he pray this way? Both are dangerous And come with temptation. What is the wisdom in this proverb? It is better to live day to day in constant dependence on God and do as much good with our money as we can. That's the wisdom in this proverb. It is better to live with the attitude of, Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Than to be arrogantly self-sufficient or take matters into our own hands because we're afraid God's not going to come through. Either way, in living in overabundance or in poverty, the temptation here is to forget God. The former, those who live in in overabundance, might forget God in the sense that, that they don't need God for help. They don't need God to provide. They have it. They can forget God. The latter, those who live in poverty, and there's, in this sense here of forgetting God, they act in desperation of forgetting God that he promises to provide. And so I'm going to make sure I get this one way or another because I don't know that God will provide for me. You forget God then too. See, there are temptations on either side of this rags or riches that we ought to be aware of. What I want us to notice here is Hagar's humble plea is to remain dependent on the Lord. That's where we all need to be. He says there in the verse, give me, or better translated, feed me only my daily bread. Jesus taught his disciples to pray that prayer as well, remember? I want you to see the cry of his heart. The great desire that prompts such a prayer is that Agur wanted to honor God for as long as he shall live. 
He wanted to honor God for as long as he shall live. Is that our greatest desire? That's the thread. That's the thread that runs through all of what I want to say this morning. Honoring God is the foundation for all of our giving, all of our handling of what we have been given from the Lord. The main principle for us to embrace this morning is this. Very straightforward. God will take care of us if we honor him. God will take care of us if we honor him. That's what we see here. That's what we see throughout these other Proverbs that I'm going to kind of pull together for you this morning. God will take care of us if we honor him. Now, while the primary application of that principle relates to money, for our time here this morning, it speaks to every single area of our lives. Will we honor him in this area, in this area, in this area? Because we believe God will take care of us if we honor him. Now, how do we honor him with what we have? I'm going to mention four ways for us this morning. Four ways we honor the Lord with what we have. First of all, first of all, we honor God with what we have by giving to God first. We honor God with what we have by giving to God first. We see this in Proverbs. Look with me at Proverbs chapter 3. Go back to Proverbs chapter 3. You don't have to hold your finger here. I'm not coming back to this one. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, by the way, this is one of those verses that, that teachers of the prosperity gospel use to support their position. Now, I need to say something to you about Proverbs. Hopefully, it's just a reminder. I need to remind you that Proverbs are not promises. They're not promises. They are general statements to teach a lesson. We get all messed up when we make these general statements promises. Don't pull out a proverb here and claim it as a promise of God. That's to butcher the nature of a proverb. They are aphorisms, general statements to teach a lesson. And the lesson here is not, is not that God will make you wealthy if you give to him first. That's not the lesson at all. That wouldn't be honoring God at all. That would be using God, right, for our own ends. The lesson here is that you can trust God to take care of your needs. He will take care of us if we honor him. So honor God with every penny you have. And according to this proverb, that's seen in the giving of our first fruits to him. Now, for the nation of Israel, God set up two methods of giving, generally speaking. There are things that, uh, that fall under these, this umbrella of these two, but, but two general ways in which he set up, two methods of giving. There was the offering of the first fruits, and then many others come out, came out of that. And then there was the tithe, and there were many tithes. Well, what was the reason behind God for setting up the nation of Israel, these two methods of giving? It was because 
He wanted them to honor him. He wanted them to honor him. He knew that their hearts would follow their treasures. So if they honored God with their first fruits, their treasures, their hearts would honor him as well. This is what's behind the whole matter of the first fruits. We give off the top because we trust God for the rest. Why give to God first? Because he then doesn't get the leftover, but rather he gets the best. Why give to God first? Because that way you won't spend all your money on yourself and just hope that maybe just a little trickles down for God. Andy Stanley speaks of two kinds of givers. Two kinds of givers. He says there are those who give to God first and live on what is left over. And there are those who give God what is left over. There are those who give to God first and live on what is left over. That's one kind of giver. And then there are those who give God what is left over. Which kind of giver am I? Which kind of giver are you? Do you give God what is left over? Or do you give God first and live on what is left over? Often our attitude is like the little girl who was given $2 by her dad. And he wanted to teach her a little lesson on stewardship, so he instructed her to give one of the dollars to God and that the other dollar she could keep and spend any way she wanted. The girl agreed and asked if she could go to the candy store for there was a particular kind of candy there that she could buy with her dollar bill. So she happily made her way to the store with one dollar in one hand and one dollar in the other hand. As she was skipping along to the store, she tripped and fell. And when she did, she dropped one of the dollar bills and and, and, and immediately blew away and fell into the storm drain by the curb. It was gone. She picked herself up. She looked at the dollar bill in her hand and then at the one gone in the storm drain and said, well, Lord, there goes your dollar. (laughs) Is that a little too close to home? Is it? Think about that. When tough times hit, whose dollar is forfeited? There goes yours, God. There goes yours. What you give or what you spend, which one do we give first? Isn't that the rub for us? Why don't we give to God first? Let's answer that question. Why don't we give to God first? Well, you might answer greed. Greed. Perhaps. Perhaps. But I think the main reason we don't give to God first is because we don't trust God. I mean, let's be honest here. We struggle to believe that God will really take care of us. Often our decisions around money are fear-driven. What if I give too much away and there's not enough for me? What if the interest rates change? What if I lose my job? What if I don't have enough to pay the mortgage? What if, what if, what if? Can you give to God first and trust that he will take care of you? Doesn't it make sense? Doesn't it make sense to trust the creator of the universe with all that we have? I mean, doesn't it make sense that we can can trust God with the rest? We honor God when we give to him first out of all that we produce in our lives. And that not only applies to our money, 
It also applies to our time. I mean, do we give God leftovers of our time? I don't know, God, I'm going to do all this first, and whatever I have left over, then I'll serve you. Do we give God the, the leftover of our talents? Do we give God the leftover of our energy? When we give him the first of all those areas, we are following the offering of the first fruits. We do that because we honor him. We value God. We prioritize and we put God first. We make him the priority of our lives when we give him the first of all that we produce in our lives. We honor him by giving him right off the top, sacrificially, the first fruits. We honor God and we give to him first. And he will take care of us. That's the first way we honor God. There's a second way we honor God with what we've been given by God, and that is we honor God by earning it honestly. We honor God by earning it honestly and not at the expense of others. And not at the expense of others. If we trust God to take care of us, then we don't have to bend the rules. We don't have to overextend ourselves. We don't have to go against our conscience break our promises, cheat others in order to get ahead. We don't have to do that. Now, here are some Proverbs that speak to how we're to earn our money, how wrong ways to earn our money, right ways to earn our money. Here's some wrong ways. Proverbs 11, verse 1. It says, the Lord abhors dishonest scales. In Proverbs 20, verse 10, he repeats that thought when he says, differing weights and differing measures, the Lord detests them both. Don't cheat other people. In Proverbs 10, verse 2, it speaks of ill-gotten treasures are of no value. Proverbs 22, verse 16. I know I'm bombarding you here. Proverbs 22, 16 says, He who oppresses the poor to increase his wealth, and he who gives, gives gifts to the rich, both come to poverty. Proverbs is clear, and those are only a sample that I gave you, and it's lined with the rest of Scripture. Money must always be earned through honest measures. That means we don't stab anyone in the back. That means we don't oppress the poor. That means we don't make shady deals. We don't fudge the numbers. And we don't take advantage of someone in their weakness. We go, we pounce on them. No. Proverbs, Scripture speaks against that. And you know, this relates to business decisions as well. There are many proverbs that strike the balance between using good business sense on the one hand and at the same time making a decision that helps the community at large. See, even in business, it should not be about, about, about making the bottom line, about making money for me. We must ask in handling our money wisely, how will this financial decision affect others? How will it affect others? In other words, we don't do anything that would make us gain at the expense of others. And I believe we can make an application to the many, to the many who have chased the almighty dollar and sacrificed their family along the way. The many who have chased the the almighty dollar and lost their family. One day, a very successful, wealthy man was sitting by himself on a beach watching two children build an elaborate sandcastle near the edge of the water. 
I mean, it had walls and gates and towers, passageways, and it had a moat running around it filled with water. It was a beautiful piece of work by these two children. And just as they were putting on the finishing touches, you know what happened. A big wave came in from the ocean, crashed onto the beach, washed over their castle, and then slid back into the ocean, leaving behind nothing but a pile of wet sand. The man watching this expected the children to burst into tears, but they didn't. Instead, laughing, holding hands, they ran up to the shore away from the water and sat down and built another sandcastle. This successful, lonely man drew this conclusion. He said, these children taught me an important lesson. That all the things in our lives, all the complicated structures we spend so much time and energy creating are built on sand. Only our relationships to others endure. Sooner or later, he says, the wave will come along and knock down what we have worked so hard to build. And when that happens, only the person who has somebody's hand to hold will be able to laugh. Do you have a hand to hold? Do you have a hand to hold if calamity were to strike? How are your decisions about earning money affecting your relationships? Be honest. Are you giving yourself to what will endure? That really leads to the next way we honor God with what we've been given. Third way is we honor God by learning the secret of contentment. We honor God by learning the secret of contentment. We spent a whole series on this when we looked at the big book of Philippians. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I do want to speak to what Proverbs has to say about it. And basically it says money isn't everything. Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5. You can go there with me. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. Something about this proverb here brings a smile to my face. Proverbs 23, verse 4. It says, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Now, this is the part I love. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to uh, to the sky like an eagle. Now, I'm not sure this before, but what's interesting to me is that in the back of our dollar bill is a picture of an eagle. With wings stretched out. That's appropriate to me. Cast but a glance at this dollar bill and it is gone. For it will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Isn't that true? God. Just had it. Where'd it go? flies away. As one man quipped, that money talks, I'll not deny. I heard it once. It said goodbye. Isn't that true? Do you hear the flapping of eagle's wings? See, whatever satisfaction you might derive from money, it's inferior to everything else that God wants to give us. Everything else that God has given us, it's inferior to all of that. I won't have you turn to it, but but Proverbs speaks to money being inferior to many things. There are several verses on that. Maybe just jot them down. It is inferior to wisdom in 8.10. Proverbs 8.10. He says money is inferior to wisdom. And 11.4, it says money is inferior to righteousness. It is inferior to humility. 
in Proverbs 16, 19. It's inferior to good relationships, Proverbs 15, 16, and 17. Actually, I want you to turn to that one, Proverbs 15, 16, and 17. I want us to see this one. You can check the other ones out later. Money's inferior to this. Proverbs 15, verse 16. What's it say? Verse 16, Proverbs 15, verse 16. It's better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better a meal of vegetables. There you go, vegetarians. Better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened calf with hatred. Which is better? To have all these things and there's no love in the home? Which is better? To buy your kids all the toys and thrills or, or for you to be actively engaged in their lives? Which is better? To kill ourselves trying to live at a higher standard of living or live on less and be around more? You see, to, to live at a frenetic pace, and, I, and I'm not immune to this, to live at a frenetic pace, this hectic pace, so we can live in luxury at the expense of our presence is the most foolish investment we will ever make. Listen, I don't care if she whines. She doesn't need a car. She needs you. He doesn't need another electronic device. He needs you. He doesn't need another trip to Disney. He needs you. Many have chosen a certain lifestyle based on what the culture and others have said is the way to go at the expense of cultivating a home where there's love, contentment, and the fear of the Lord. Dads, moms, I beg of you, don't make it. It's a foolish investment. It's a foolish investment. These verses in Proverbs chapter 15 get to the heart of the matter. And that contentment is the key. That's better than whatever you have on the table. It isn't the amount, it's discontentment. Why does discontent, discontentment show up? There's an MIT professor who did a very fascinating study on the happiness level of Olympic medalists. After an event is run, obviously the gold medal winner did best. They get first place, then it's silver, they did, did next, and then and the bronze medalist, third place. Now, who do you think was the happiest athlete in that competition? The gold medalist. But here's the interesting thing. Who do you think was second happiest as they did the survey? The bronze. The bronze. The one who came in third place, interestingly enough, that's the one who was the ha- next happiest. What they discovered was the one who came in in third place and received the bronze medal compared himself downward to the person who came in fourth and so on and thought, man, I almost didn't get a medal at all. I'm so grateful for what I have when I could have had nothing. Right? Guess what the civil medalist compared himself to? The gold. He was obsessed with, oh, what I could have had. If only I had that, then I would be happy. So the one who came in second place was actually less happy than the bronze medalist who came in behind him in third place. There's something really deep in the human heart here because money will say to us, keep looking at people who have more than you do and just think how much happier you'll be 
if you had what they had, right? That's where discontentment comes in. We're doing okay until we look over and go, huh, they're doing better than I am. Ah, if only, if only, if only, if, if only. The if only disease. It only leads to self-pity and restlessness. Proverbs 14.30 reminds us that a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Proverbs 14.30. So what's the right perspective? How do we conquer this discontentment, slay the dragon of greed? What is the final way we honor God with what we have? We honor God, here it is, by being radically generous. We honor God by being radically generous. Look with me at Proverbs 11. This is the last one we're going to really look at. Proverbs 11. Proverbs 11, verse 24. It says, One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. What is the best way to honor God with what we've been given? Be radically generous with it. Now listen, generosity doesn't mean you just throw your money all around all over the place. That's not being a good steward. But generosity does enable you to participate in God-sized things that yield an amazing return. You know what? If you're living just paycheck to paycheck without operating on a budget... If you're living above your means, you won't be free to give generously as you ought and maybe how you want to give. The happiest people are generous people. Proverbs 22, 9, you don't have to turn this, as a generous man will himself be blessed. We're told in Acts 20, is more blessed to give than to receive. See, all too often, the question around this subject is how much do I give away? How much do I give to the Lord? Give me a number, please. (laughs) We think giving, we think giving has to do with percentages. Drop that thinking. It doesn't have anything to do with percentages. If you want to start giving to the Lord and, and you want to think 10%, that's fine. But this isn't about dutiful, mathematical obedience. God owns it all. All. 100%. That we can talk about. See, giving your 10% isn't what sets you free. What sets us free from the hypnotic spell of money and the power of money is God's wisdom that expresses itself, how? In generosity. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul. Listen. You can write it down, look at it later. If you haven't read 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 in a while, read 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. All about generosity, all about giving. Listen to these words. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7. He says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each one should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, do you hear what this is saying? What is the new principle, New Testament principle for giving? Here it is. 
You decide. Did he just say, I decide? You decide. Paul said that. I mean, this is amazing to me. God says, this is what I have given you. I have given you under my grace everything. You are forgiven. You are free. There's now no condemnation for you. You have it all. Now you decide how much you want to give. That's what he says. I'm not ripping it out of context. That's what he says. But what you give, give cheerfully. What you give, give it an act of faith and in honor of the Lord. You see, in Old Testament law, they were required to give 10%. In New Testament under grace, it is you decide. Frankly, the bar is much higher. It is much higher. If under the law, think about this, if under the law they required to tithe, shouldn't I give more under grace? See, the greatest incentive for giving generously is not a preacher up front banging on the pulpit. That's not going to work. That's not the point. It's not the point at all. The greatest incentive for giving generously is grace. Paul says earlier when he speaks of generosity in chapter 8, verse 9, Chapter 8, verse 9 in 2 Corinthians, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. How does Paul motivate for generosity? He shows us Jesus. That's how he motivates. If you have an issue with giving, come back to Jesus. Make no mistake about it here. Make no mistake about it. This sermon this morning has very little to do with the church needing money. It has everything to do with showing the love of Jesus by giving it in a spirit of generosity. That's what it means. That's the point. Jerry was in Russia on a short visit with Prison Fellowship International. He and a group of friends, after visiting a number of prisons, were taken to a 750-bed children's hospital in Moscow. Most of the beds were empty. This is where children with cancer and blood diseases came to die. There was a cafeteria, but there was no food in that cafeteria. There were no trained nurses. There was no laundry. There was no disinfectants. There were very few medicines or no lab work. The children's families brought in and prepared food for their own kids in this empty hospital kitchens. Well, a staff person brought a young girl in an old wheelchair to Jerry and his friends. She was about 14 years old, with thin brown hair, dark circles under her eyes. She said she has about four months to live, the woman told Jerry. We have no medicines to help her. What is her name, Jerry asked, and he bent down to the girl's level. Eugenia, the woman said, Eugenia. Well, that hit home. Eugenia was Jerry's daughter's name. What if his daughter, Eugenia, was dying and needed medicine? What would he do? What would this this Russian Eugenia's dad do for his daughter if he could? Staff people told Jerry the drug protocol for Eugenia would run about $18,000 in U.S. dollars. And Jerry was not a man of wealth, but he turned to a buddy with him, a cattle rancher, and he said, Ed, 
If we can't find someone to donate the money to help this little girl, I'm going to sell my car, and if you sell your truck, okay? He'd drive me crazy always trying to swing these deals, Ed said, but that's why I come on these trips with you. Okay, I'll sell my truck. You'll sell your car. But selling a car and truck would only take them so far. There were lots of kids who needed help. Well, Jerry returned to the U.S. He got on the phone. He sold his car. His buddy sold his truck. And within two weeks, a prominent children's clinic had given him tens of thousands of dollars worth of drugs packed in cooler boxes with dry ice and sent with Jerry back on a plane to Moscow. And when Jerry... And his friends got back to Moscow with the first plane load of medicine. It would be first of many, by the way. When they arrived the first time, he and his buddies walked into the hospital in the middle of the night. Eugenia's mother saw them coming, and, and she ran down the, the dim corridor, her face incredulous. She burst into tears, and she said, You are Jesus, are you not? She exclaimed in broken English, You are Jesus, are you not? Folks, we are never more like Jesus than we are when we are giving to others. Never. Let's pray. God, may we be like you. Never mind all the other stuff that we get hung up on. Someone preaches on money. We just get down to what is, where we really are with you honestly and say, where's our hearts? Let all the other stuff sneak into our minds this morning and rip away what it is you want to teach us about generosity, about being like Christ, about giving from the heart, giving cheerfully, giving because we're under grace. Speak to us as we continue in our praise, as we give to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We bring our offering on Sunday mornings as an offering to God. It's an act of worship. It's a way in which we honor God when we come together on Sunday morning and bring our offerings. It's not a time when we can kind of just check out and go, this is just intermission. No. It's a statement of our trust in God and honoring Him and praising Him for what He has given us. It's an indicator of a life who has given ourselves to God first. So as we give this morning, the team is going to lead us in a song, a new song, Lay Me Down. Then they're going to invite you to stand and sing that song and close with Blessed Be Your Name as a great praise to the Lord. We're under grace. Whatever God has given us, we ought to be content in that, right? Ushers, listen to the song, and then we're going to be singing here in a moment.